Section 6 of The Influence of Monarchs by Frederick Adams Woods. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 6. Spain. No chapter of history opens more gloriously than that of United Spain. Everyone knows something of the reign of the famous Ferdinand of Aragon, and the still more celebrated Isabella of Castile the conquest of granada which met the final expulsion of the mohammedans from western europe the entrance of spain among the powers the beginning of that growth in commerce and increase in wealth which followed the discovery of the new world this era has been a favourite topic for historical research but time has not diminished in the perspective of the ages the eminence of los reyes catalicos who still dominate the panorama from every point of view ferdinand whatever his failings may have been was one of the cleverest statesmen of his age, and Isabella still stands among the great women of all time. The death of Isabella was followed by a brief period, about a year and a half in duration, which, though not important in the totality of Spanish history, is suggestive nevertheless of what is probably a constantly recurring factor of some importance in ancient medieval and to a less extent in modern history. It is reasonable to suppose that, generally speaking, the death of a strong sovereign is in itself an event predisposing towards disorganization and retrogression and when this rule is merely followed by another of equal ability it gives occasion and hope to the malcontents one must believe from all the facts that the duration of such a condition has been determined chiefly by the qualities of the new ruler but a certain amount of upheaval might naturally be expected before the new man had time to assert himself here is a case in point isabella was followed in castile by the able ferdinand who was to act as regent for their daughter Joanna. A year and a half of unsettled political history was followed by the resignation of Ferdinand in favour of his son-in-law Philip. This relinquishment was, according to Prescott, acceded to by the regent to exact himself from his previous position and shield the country from the impending evils of a civil war. If Ferdinand had continued in power long enough, it is fair to suppose that he would have overcome the excited opposition. Subsequent events would lead us to conclude as much. However, that may be, the inexperienced and light-brained Philip was given a chance, but in two months he was out of it again. His reign was as disgraceful as it was brief. Conditions were growing steadily worse, when in 1506 Ferdinand was again, and at this time permanently given the regency, which office he brilliantly filled for the next ten years. As usual, the former investiture of power counts for little, the personality for much. Before him, insurrection quailed, the laws resumed their empire, and prosperity revisited the people. Both commerce and agriculture made excellent progress, but of greater interest is the commencement of that lordship over foreign lands which was to give Spain her wide, though transient world power. This uplift continued without interruption until the death of Ferdinand in 1516, when a year of doubtful significance ensued under the non-royal regent Cardinal Ximenes. Perhaps this brief term should be counted on the side of progress. At any rate, Zemeans was a great and remarkable man, and it should be noticed how a few of his mould Spain ever produced except from royal stock. Granting this regency as one of possible exception to the rule, we arrive at the date 1517, which begins the important forty years' reign of the Emperor Charles V. This was a golden age of Spain in many ways and in connection with the reign of his son, Philip II, covers nearly the whole of the 16th century, and carries us up, and just a little over the crest of the wave of Spanish preeminence. 
Although these two reigns have been generally considered of unusual interest, they are not especially instructive in a bald and systematic comparison of conditions with sovereigns. The reason why these two reigns are not interesting in the present research is because neither of them is a clear case of progress or of decline. If the conditions should be split up into their strong and weak aspects, doubtless much sovereign influence could be rendered probable. Therefore, there is really more monarchical influence at the present point than the systematic method which I am pursuing is able to bring out. So I have said all along, the method only pretends to measure approximately the lower limit of the personal influences. The decline which was clearly manifest during the latter days of Philip II increases pace enormously under the third Philip. The fourth of the same name saw matters go from bad to worse, while under Charles II, the last of the Habsburgs, national demoralization reached its limit. The 17th century is synchronized with these four reigns, which are so much alike that a hasty composite of the four will serve as well as a detailed account of each. In fact, the word decline covers the story of the material affairs in every department. As for the rulers, the single epithet, weak, will suffice. The notorious retrogression of the Spanish monarchy during the 17th century has been very extensively investigated. The warfare of that time has been fought over again in the controversies of historians, but no one denies the main fact that Spain did decline. The quarrel comes over the proportional share of the various causes. The following is a partial list showing the variety of causes assigned by different writers each usually bent on emphasizing his own explanation. Depopulation on account of emigration to the New World, evil legislation led into industries, laws against the exportation of gold and silver, revolt in the Netherlands, importation of Negroes in the colonies, cost of the wars of Charles V, great power of the church, too much gold and too little liberty had demoralized the race, establishment of the Inquisition, expulsion of the Jews, heavy taxes imposed on the mines in the New World, Brutalizing tendency of the bullfight. Disaster of the Spanish Armada. The most of these supposed causes were really contributory to the general debacle is certainly a reasonable assumption. But the personal weakness of the sovereign is generally overlooked, and furthermore, nearly all these injurious forces may well be directly traceable to royal initiative, to the pernicious policies of Charles V or Philip II, not corrected under their degenerate successors. I do not claim that the unusual appearance here of four weak rulers is a more powerful cause in bringing about the downfall of Spain than the other causes taken together. But I do claim that what we have here, by the comparative method, scientific proof, is that it is an important cause, while an acceptance or rejection of the other causes is gratuitous in the present state of knowledge, and also that the other above-mentioned causes may have arisen from the mental defects of the kings. As a result of the war of the Spanish succession, Louis the Fourteenth of France established his grandson, Philip V, upon the throne of Spain. Conditions, though not satisfactory under this prince, were so much improved in comparison to what they had been under the last four Habsburgs that we must count the reign in the plus direction. Philip was a weak and indifferent character and finally became insane. Such reforms as took place were initiated by the prime ministers who were French, Italian and Dutch in origin and it was sent to Spain by Louis XIV. Here is an instance of progress under a weak king, but the statesmen who directed the movement were not born in Spain. In the history of the next reign, one finds a rare instance of a king of mediocre, 
or perhaps inferior capacity exercising a very favourable influence through a sincere desire for the welfare of his subjects ferdinand the sixth was called the wise and he seems to have been both prudent and enlightened but he became insane and this may have something to do with the inferior rating which some historians give his intellectual capacity the reign was peaceful and reforms took place in agriculture manufactures commerce and finances the marquis de la ensaneda was prime minister and in him spain enjoyed the third instance of a native spanish statesman devoted to the best interests of his country the reign of charles the third was also successful charles the third was himself a very superior ruler without being exactly brilliant he was generous just enlightened with a sound judgment for practical affairs in connection with these ministers de aranda and florida blanca an administration was given to spain which brought improvement into every department of the government not only in military financial naval and diplomatic affairs but also in agricultural commercial and industrial life solid advances had been made when charles the third died in seventeen eighty eight this is the last reign which can be discussed without becoming involved in the napoleonic period with its gigantic political changes which depended on a personality so great as to upset all the usual fluctuations in the evolution of nations thus the greater part of the eighteenth century gave a better promise in spain than the nineteenth realized there was a perceptible improvement during the reigns of philip v and ferdinand the sixth not readily ascribable to the kings themselves but aside from this the whole history of more modern united spain is not much different from ancient castile and aragon fourteen periods show only about four points of deviation from almost absolute correlation between sovereigns and conditions three of these four are associated with the names of exceptional statesmen prime ministers only two of whom were of spanish birth the history of spain bears a very strong similarity to the history of portugal there is no evidence anywhere of gradual cumulative parliamentary development although all these peninsular countries castile aragon catalonia valencia navarre and portugal had a very early start in representative government the steps in the direction of constitutionalism came out of strong not under weak kings and is a profound significant point that neither the nobles nor the commons were able to organize and make capital out of the weakness of their kings End of section 6